This is the Life of Jesus podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. For a full year, we are looking at the life, teachings, and works of Jesus from the four Gospels. We are now in week 33 of the 52 weeks of looking at it, and we're getting closer and closer really to the time when Jesus is preparing his disciples on his way toward Jerusalem for the transition from him to them. Last week, we looked at his teachings about living in the now and not yet kingdom with patient persistence. And today, we're, we're looking at what he has to say about the least, the lost, and the last. Jesus' interactions with children and the rich and powerful and common laborers. We're, in, we're going to switch it up. We're going to Matthew. We've been in Luke, it seems like, for a month of Sundays. That's what my grandma used to say. And so now we are in going to switch it up, and we're going to Matthew. In fact, these passages, a number of them, are in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, known as the synoptic gospels because they see things the same, similar way, as opposed to John's gospel. And, and so we're, we're going to go, though, to Matthew 19. Matthew chapter 19, and we'll pick it up in verse 13. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Ben, why in the world would the disciples of Jesus rebuke Jesus for placing his hands on and praying for little children? Because uh, children weren't seen as having the same kind of inherent dignity as uh, as adults, and so they were seen. I mean, they would have been seen almost in their mind as a waste of time that Jesus was giving attention to them. Oh, times have changed, right? Yeah, we don't see our children the same way today, do we? No, no, <laughs> we don't. No, we don't. We organize everything seemingly around them. Um, it's oftentimes to their own detriment and to ours as well. But but yeah, we see things differently. Yeah, so we have to be careful of looking at Scripture through the lens of today as opposed to the lens of then, because we would see if a, if a person today prayed for children, that would be amazing. But the disciples rebuked Jesus, and they corrected him. They challenged him. But Jesus said in verse 14, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs, strong word, belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. So this idea that children who were meant to be maybe not seen and not heard to a degree, I mean, they weren't, they weren't to be around the adults, especially in these times of teaching and learning and growing, Jesus said, no, you missed the whole point. The, the kingdom, God's kingdom, belongs to people like this, belongs to such as these. I, I don't think this means that it's a kingdom of little children, but we need to have childlikeness and not worry about status and not worrying about being somebody. And if we are the ones who are the forgotten, if we are the, the least in society, then perhaps we begin to understand God's heart for the kingdom. Who are the people these days who would be 
comparable to the little children of his day. Because I don't think little children are. To your point, little children, we, you know, we, we have graduation from preschool. Right. We have ceremonies for graduation from preschool these days. That we have a, we're living a different world as then. So who are the ones today who people would say, no, 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 religious leader, preacher, pastor, you don't want to spend time with them. Yeah, I think it, it honestly, it depends on, on context, depends on culture. Um, but those who, uh, who would be perceived at least as, uh, you know, the marginalized, the oppressed, um, I think about, uh, you know, I, I think one of the greatest expressions of God, the, the beauty of God's kingdom ethic and was I was in India uh, several years ago, and I met when I was one of the churches that I, I was able to preach at. I met a, a husband and wife, and the wife was from the upper caste system in India, and the husband was from the lowest caste system mm. in India. And there they were, this married couple. And I, I, all I could think to myself was like, "Wow, what a what an incredible image of." of God's kingdom, of his kingdom ethic, because it hears two people that outside of Christ, um, if they were just simply culturally bound, would not speak to one another, would not associate with one another. One, the, the, the person from the lower caste, the husband from the lowest caste, uh, would have been seen as someone really with no dignity in the eyes of, of the wife who was from the upper caste. And yet in Christ, here they are, uh, not only um, in relationship with one another, but husband and wife. And that's how, you know, God's kingdom ethic flips the, the ethic of the world upside down. A friend of mine has been a Christian for all his life, and he's in his 50s. And he, he decided to make sort of a career change out of church ministry, out of missionary work. And he's, he's working at a retail store now. And he's working around a lot of people who make minimum wage and are struggling to make ends meet, to pay the bills. And, and he, he's asking the question, he asked me a question recently, and he, he kind of supplied me with the answer too, and I've been thinking about it. He said, you know, I've been, I've been around the church all my life, and he said, I've worked in the church for years and, and volunteered and, and done all kinds of things in the church, been a missionary. And he, and he says, I have to ask myself the question, what does the church in America, as it's currently constructed, have to offer my coworkers who are making minimum wage, struggling to make ends meet, not knowing if they're going to ever advance beyond that in their life. What does the church, as, as the church does ministry today, have to offer them? And he answered, I think the answer is nothing. That's, of course, not the answer answer. I mean, that because the church, that is the body of Christ, that if we proclaim the message of Christ, is for all people. But as it's currently constructed, it's an interesting, it's a, it's a thought exercise that I've been working through here for a little while, trying to wonder, like, is that the least of these today? In the American context, those who are scraping to, to make ends meet, and have we, have I, who's been a pastor for three and a half decades, done all that I can to minister to folks who are 
who are going through that. I, I don't know. It's just an interesting thought like, because it's certainly not the children because children right. are, you know, top door in our, in our culture today, especially children of middle-class families. Yeah, but it yeah. does. I mean, it, it compels the question, are we indiscriminately declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ to, to all people, uh, no matter social status, economic status, no matter uh, ethnicity? Um, are, we, are we indiscriminately proclaiming uh, the gospel? Are we indiscriminately reaching out to others, seeing others uh, through the lens as, as of those who have been uh, created in the image of God, who are, are of you know, infinite worth, um, who have inherent dignity because they are fellow image bearers, and, uh, and are we reaching out to them? I mean, and too often we do, we get in our kind of, uh, whether it's a, a socioeconomic status or because of the, the place we live, um, there are certain folks that we just, oftentimes we become sadly, I mean, grievously, we become blind to uh, rather than really truly indiscriminately pursuing others uh, for the sake of Christ. I've previously mentioned that some, some have made a critique of the modern American church, that it largely ministers to the middle class and has not done a very good job of ministering to the poor or the rich in, in our culture. And that's something I've thought about too. And of course, Jesus hits both of these back to back because he, the, not the children were by themselves poor, but they were the ignored in society. And the very next verse, he, he goes, there's a story about a rich person, a rich young leader, a ruler, as we're known from the other gospels. And it's in Matthew 19, verse 16. Then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? We've seen that question a handful of times already that people are wanting to know, is there a, is there a magic button to push? Is there a, is there a formula? Are there 12 steps, 14 steps, 21 steps? Or is there something I, I need to do to make sure I'm going to heaven, that I'll be saved? And Jesus said, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you know, the ones like, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, love your neighbors yourself, you know, things like that. Verse 20, all these I have kept, the young man said. And then he asked, the question, which is a really good question, what do I still lack? We, we talked last week about prayer. What if that was a, a regular part of our prayer life with God? God, what do I still lack? What's lacking in me? What's out of alignment in me? What in my life are you working on and you want me to work equally as hard on? It's a really provocative question that this, this, is not a, this is not a parable. This is an actual event that took place when this young man said, I want to know what's missing in my life so that I can be assured that I am going to heaven, that I have eternal life. I like the question a lot. Yeah, I mean, any time. When I, uh, you know, in my, my morning quiet times or any engagement with the Word, if I'm 
you know, fleshing out a, a message or writing a Bible study or, or whatever, as they engage the word, my persistent prayer is, Lord God, reveal uh, under the authority of, of your word, under the light of your word, reveal the brokenness that exists within my heart. Reveal to me the things that are not aligned uh, with you, that I, that my heart, my life would be reshaped um, to, again, you know, love that which you love. Verse 21, Jesus answered, if you want to be, he's answering the guy's question, what he selects. He says, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. We've seen before when there are people who turn away from Jesus. Not everybody was drawn to him. Of course, some people cried out, crucify him, and put him to death, but this guy just like left. And he was all depressed because he, it says, because he had great wealth. It's like, I got money in one hand and eternal life in the other hand. I choose money. Jesus, verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. I just wonder, what will we say is rich? What would we say is middle class and what would we say is poor? What, what would, you know, we often think about that. Politicians in the United States, they always are trying to get the votes of the middle class, Republican, Democrat, you know, all, all the same, try to get the middle class and, and speak about the, the pinch on the middle, middle class. And, and we're hearing that right now, you know, gas prices and inflation, it's affecting everybody, of course but they want the votes of the, of the middle class. And, and we identify, most people identify with the middle class. And we would say that a certain percentage of the people would truly be poor and a certain percentage of the people would really be rich. I don't know who the rich, who make up the rich, 10% of the people in, in America or 20%. I, I don't know. Everybody would have a different answer to that. Like who is the rich? So I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at this a little bit. So I went to the How Rich Am I website, and it has a little place on there where you can plug in your, the size of your family and the amount of money you make. So I just have a little fictitious family here that is made up of two adults and two children, and I put in there that they make a total combined $50,000 per year. I think most of us would say that's square in the middle class in America. $50,000 per year, family of four. And according to this site, if you make $50,000 combined per year, family of four, you are richer than 90% of the people in the world. You are in the top 10%. That might be a hard pill to swallow for our American listeners, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because we, we live, uh, we live in an environment where, I mean, $50,000 a year for a family of four is actually below the poverty line. Um, if I, no, 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 it's, it's richer than 90% of the people in the world. Right. (laughs) Right. And yet within our American context, it's not. And that's, what's so insane is that we, 
you know, we judge ourselves, we look at ourselves uh, through the lens of our neighbors or neighboring community or whatever it might be. And that's the only means by which we uh, see uh, or understand wealth. And so we have no clue how wealthy we are. And part of the part of the thing that we wrestle with, honestly, is that we are so concerned with keeping up with the Joneses um, that we have cr- that many uh, within America are house poor, car poor, uh, to where ultimately don't many don't need to live necessarily paycheck to paycheck, uh, but wind up doing it. And so they feel this pinch, you know, and so they, they have a perception. We have a perception of ourselves that's not real, that's not based in reality. It's just conditioned uh, by our environment. So when Jesus said it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, did he mean everyone who can listen to this on their iPhone? Most likely. That's hard, isn't it? I mean, if you really grapple with this, because the tendency is to identify with the not rich in, and to say, well, he's, he's, he's coming at him, and it's somebody else. As long as we know people who are richer, you know, who can like, I don't know, get their own rocket ships yeah. and go to outer space, yeah. you know, we, that's, that's the truly rich, right? Well, sure it is, richer. Yeah, we have, we have a, a tendency... Uh, to deflect Jesus's words onto other people anyway. It's a part, I mean, it's a part of how we, you know, sadly we have this tendency towards self-justification. Survival technique. Yeah, survival technique to where we, we see Jesus's words and we think, oh, that, that doesn't really apply necessarily to me. Um, and we're unwilling to, uh, to allow, again, to allow Christ to, to expose our, the sin in our own life. We don't want to wrestle with it because it's always somebody else's Somebody, it's always somebody else's problem, somebody else's issue. And end up, what we end up doing oftentimes, we compare ourselves not to Christ, not the life he's called us into, but we just compare ourselves to our neighbor. Verse 24, again, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Unless you have a really big blender, you're not going to get a camel through the eye of a needle or something like that. And it's making it impossible. So down in verse 25, the disciples said they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? So now I think when like, quite like they're identifying as the rich, and they were fishermen. They were laborers. But they're, they're trying to figure like, can anybody make it? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Perhaps part of the point is when we, again, rely on our self-sufficiency, what we have, we're back to the story of last week, the rich man and Lazarus. When we rely on ourselves and our means, it will always come up short. You cannot build a rocket ship big enough to take you to heaven. You cannot stack dollar bills up tall enough to take you to heaven. Or rely on your middle classness, your American middle classness, which is truly the world's wealthy, to give you comfort and security. 
Let's go down to, to Matthew chapter 20. There's more to that one. We'll let you read it. But Matthew chapter 20, and it's the parable of the workers in the vineyard, because now we get this different kind of story, and it's not the rich person anymore, but these are common laborers. In fact, they're day workers. They, they are, any day they get picked up for work, they can make a little bit of money and sort of a subsistence kind of living. It's in Matthew 20, chapter, chapter 20, I'm sorry, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning, probably six in the morning, to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. So a fair deal. It's a day's wages for a day's work. Verse three, he went out at nine in the morning and saw others standing around the marketplace. And he also said, you also go and work in my vineyard. I'll pay you whatever is right. Didn't say the amount. He went out about again about noon and then again about three in the afternoon. And then at five in the afternoon, he kept finding people. And he said, why you been standing around all day? And they said, because no one's hired us. And he said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. So you got people that are doing 12-hour shifts and six-hour shifts, and the last group, a one-hour shift. When evening came, verse 8, which will be probably 6 p.m., the Jewish day, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the, his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon and worked only for an hour came and each received a full day's wages, a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first and put in a 12-hour shift, they expected to receive more. I just want to stop there in the story for a minute. They expected to receive more. How does that relate to, I'm just, I'm just, just finished my 36th year in ministry. Should I expect to receive more than, uh, you know, some, some dude who gets a call to ministry and only serves five years before he retires or she dies? Um, what is it about this that, that we look at, at this and it's relatable to us if we've served long and hard in the church and, and, sacrificed much and, and tithed for many years. Do we sort of expect things to go our way in the life of the church or even, even to have a special place in heaven? You know, that's streets are paved with gold, but maybe I'll get a corner office or a corner. I mean, is there like, what is it about this that taps into the American, not the American, the human psyche? They expected to receive more. Yeah, we have the sense of everything is uh, merited. And so, uh, you know, as we, uh, the, the harder we work, uh, the better that we do. Um, that's, that's the path to upward, uh, upward mobility um, in our job, uh, in our station in life. Uh, the, the means to career advancement is by putting the time in. I even, when I, when I first was the, uh, discerning the possibility of becoming a United Methodist uh, pastor, I was meeting with, with a district superintendent and the district superintendent said, if you stick with us long enough, you'll get a church like, and he was, he was, uh, you know, he told me one of the larger churches in our conference. Um, but it was kind of like, Hey, if you put in the time, 
we see things in you that are going to lend themselves so that you can have a really big church one day, that you can pastor a church one day that's that size. And so even within, uh, even places where it should not, you know, that kind of stuff should be based on, on fruitfulness and, and gifting and, and, and what, you know, seeing God's good gifts in you as to where you serve. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it grips the American psyche. I, I know it's not just, it's not just, you know, um, a part of the American psyche, but, but maybe, uh, just hum, uh, humanity's mentality, but there's this sense that I've put the time in, give me what I deserve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what's happening here. And they grumbled about it. They got the same amount of money as the guys who worked one hour, even though it was what they were promised. And I, I think that's heaven, right? Right. Like we're, we're all promised the same thing. And, yeah, it's it should be a blessing to to serve and to give and to even sacrifice for Christ. But we sometimes wonder, will will I get more jewels? Yeah, in, in my crown. <laughs> and what's crazy about that is that in Christ we've been given the greatest gift that we could ever possibly receive that has ever been offered to us, and that Christ Himself sh- should be sufficient for us. Um, and so by, by the redemptive love I've received through, through Christ's uh, death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, like that, that should be enough, right? Amen. Yeah, in verse 15, this story gets summed up. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? And of course, the money is a metaphor in the right. story for God's goodness and God's grace and God's salvation and, and everything. Doesn't God have the right? And it's not ours to earn, but it's God's good gift to give. Uh, good stories today. I mean, they, they really look at a number of aspects of what it means to be the least and the lost and the last and how Jesus flips that upside down. He finishes it off in verse 16 saying, the last will be first and the first will be last. It's part of the upside down nature, again, of the kingdom of God. Next week, we'll be looking at Jesus teaching uh, that seeing is believing, restoring some sight of some people and having people seen in a new way. So we'll just call that seeing is believing. Folks, if you want to jump in deeper, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, or our church app and click on the Life of Jesus link. That will take you to more elements in this year-long study of the life of Jesus, including daily gospel readings, devotions, poems, weekly sermon, group study, or other episodes of this now um, continuing podcast. We'll just call that's what it is, continuing podcast. Until next week, take care. Mm-hmm.